swords with candle art to spark souls and charge tolls to cross roads and bandits are catacombs and giant doors protect the chest of stores and legendary items with the dragon bones and iron it's horse. a grand theft of elder scrolls simon's quest with toe and earl rock shoes to ever clue keeps the exit gamer news the potus needs some bad dudes to crash crew like bandicoot all shit a game in english control nations Control issues. Yes, yes, y'all. Yes, y'all. Yes, yes y'all. y'all. Well, this is Control Issues. I am the AMC. And this is A-Dub. You can find us at control-issues.com. That dash is a hyphen. You can also go to your podcast provider, look for Control Issues, download it, subscribe to it, rate it, review it, do everything you got to uh, head on over to twitch.tv slash control issues pod from time to time we put up gameplay videos for your viewing pleasure so that's something you might want to check out and lastly head on over to twitter my control issues is the handle we keep you updated on the gaming news and the tidbits that you're looking for amc what's going on not much a dub just enjoying this fourth of july weekend got had, to, had a little barbecue there you go. Saw a little fireworks. Heard a lot of fireworks. <laughs> so many fireworks. I did. I was I was playing games with my headphones on and just noticeably over the game audio I could hear fireworks. I had to like mentally screen it out just to, just to enjoy myself. Yeah, I, I, I would, so I'd be sitting there watching TV with Marissa, and I just hear thump, and then boom, <laughs> <laughs> thump, 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 boom, boom, boom. <laughs> oh mercy! Yeah, yeah, it, it was quite an ordeal. I'm saving my barbecue experience for today. Yesterday was I went hot chicken mm. with some seasoned fries, mm. smothered in honey. Oh, mm. so good. So with that warm chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we cook it, then we let it sit out for 45 minutes. (laughs) Let all those spices simmer down. (laughs) Because that's how spice works. Uh (laughs) Simmer down, man. Yes. Uh, So anyways... Beyond that, I know uh, we've had a lot of free time. We've had uh, we had some time off of work, which meant oh, we had so a lot much. of time to game. So, a dub, what you been playing? Well, as you guys know, I have been so deep in The Last of Us Part Two. In fact, so deep that over this four day weekend, I put in extended hours and I got it done last night. I you finally put it to sleep. I put it to sleep. And I got to tell you, it, it was a lot of walking back and forth in the room, a lot of rocking, a lot of, a lot of slow singing. <laughs> <laughs> the Lakers with the supersonics. Exactly. And then, you know, just tucked it in, put it away, slowly backed out the room, gave it one last look. Gently close the door. 
<laughs> and that yeah, blood covered bed. <laughs> in that blood covered bed with those fungal growths in the in the corners. <laughs> with that with that with that guitar <laughs> sitting out. Oh man. It was it was fantastic. Like I'm I only read so many of the leaks to get an idea of what people were getting all in a tizzy about. And as I encountered those elements in the game itself, I found that people were really just over-exaggerating or simply expressing their very aggressive and vocal uh, disagreement with the creative choices that the writers over at Naughty Dog made. Personally, it's their story. It's their IP. I feel like they can do whatever the hell they want with it. And what they did was fantastic. Not only was it a worthy sequel to the original game, but it also succeeded in recasting the events of the previous game in a whole new light with a whole new layer of context that we didn't even know was there. As the game definitely dragged on longer than I thought it would. There were a number of points along the way where I thought it could have been over and I would have been completely satisfactory with the outcome. But it's like at each one of those points, it was just like, and more game. It's like, what is going on? However, like I was telling you in the pre-show, it not a single moment was wasted even in that, that extended playtime to the point where like it was I was actually thankful and appreciative that they gave you the closure of really seeing all of the threads through to their conclusion. And then the ending was it, it was fitting. It was nice. It, it wasn't it wasn't a happy ending. It wasn't a sad ending. It was just an ending with plenty of room for your own personal interpretation as well as having that concrete closure to keep yourself warm at night when you're sleeping next to your knife. Overall, it's easily one of the finest games I've ever played. I think it succeeds the first game in every way. Easily front runner for game of the year and Cyberpunk is going to have a hard time clearing that mark because The Last of Us 2 is an achievement unlike any others in games. It's remarkable. Um, the without giving away the ending, I'm going to tell you the ending verbatim, line yeah, for line. <laughs> uh, does it leave room for like a, a possible trilogy, or like is it? Would you want to see them go in another direction? I would be happier if they did go in a different direction. However, there is more than enough meat on the bone for them to come back to the story that they that they told in part two. Mm-hmm. in order to flesh it out even further with a very full, very complete experience to follow. There's just, I mean, you're, man, it's, it's hard to describe it. I'm trying to do it, you know, as gingerly as possible. So it's not to spoil anything, but let's just say it, they do a good job of illustrating the cycle of violence as well as the cycle of chaos and peace that occurs in a world that's been destroyed by something as, you know, devastating as that fungal outbreak that has turned mankind into monsters in more ways than one. So there's a lot of room 
cognitively insofar as their ability to be able to tell stories that are about the human condition. And there's also enough room within the IP itself based on which open ends they left for the player to mull over for the years to come. So if, if they do make a Last of Us Part 3, I will be looking forward to it very much. That will probably be my most anticipated game. And I'll be even more interested to know who they're going to be following as well as when, because there are some characters that I would like to, I would definitely like to continue to follow their stories and see how they fared. Because, I mean, this, this universe that they've crafted and the stories that they decided to tell with it are totally outstanding. It even makes me more excited for the television series that's going to be coming out on HBO because it's, I need more. They gave me so much and it was so satisfying. However, like I'm as much closure and, and fullness that I feel after finishing that game and talking to people about it online at the same token, I also feel like a little, a little lost right now <laughs> because it's over. Uh, I'm glad I took my time with the game. All in all, it took me a little over 30 hours to get through it, playing on hard difficulty, not tweaking any other settings. But yeah, man, it feels like, it feels like you got to see an old friend again. You know, they're doing well. They're looking good. You guys have a good time. And then they got to go back to wherever they came from. So even with the uh, leaks of like certain plot points, did it give indie, any indication of the way the game concluded? Or is that still a surprise for you? Well, like I said, I didn't really look into the leaks. The way it concluded was definitely a surprise for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because number one, you don't expect the game to continue going on beyond the certain points that you think that it could end appropriately. And at the same token, you really don't expect just the the resolutions that happen. I mean, there's there's a lot going on. And once they really present to you all the sides of the story that they're trying to tell, you start to see why certain events take place. I mean, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of death and violence. However, with what they do with the story and what they challenge the player to see is that the violence isn't just meaningless. They aren't just faceless NPCs. Like it's in this world that they've crafted after this outbreak, they, no day is promised and everybody is really just operating on borrowed time. How they do so depends on just the ebb and flow of the violence to peace cycles that happen throughout the world, which is the kind of stuff that you're reading about in these notes and things, which is a mechanic that they've carried forward from the first game. So you're always, as you're experiencing it, you're also reading about, events of the past where people went through the same thing and then by the time the game is over it's you're so above it that you can see everything that's happening for what it is rather than just the stereotypical gaming tropes of you're the bad guy i'm the good guy i beat you you're done i'm right but it's it's not like that it's way more ambiguous way more gray and it's something I think that every gamer should experience at least once in their lives. It's amazing. But AMC. 
What have you been playing? Oh, AMC. I thought uh, this would be the week, A-Dub, that I would beat Octopath Traveler, but things went another way. Um, so, yeah, where we left off last week, uh, leave now if you're avoiding Octopath Traveler spoilers. Uh, <laughs> but went into, I thought I beat the game because I had closed out all the chapters for all eight characters, four chapters for each character. And I thought the game ended at that point. Went online, and then I saw... Um, the character that they had mentioned throughout the entire game, this guide was ended up actually being the true final boss of the game. So then I had to go in and part of the, um, thankfully part of the requirement was completing all those chapters, but then I had to go do, do these side quests in order to go in uh, confront this final boss. And so I did the side quests and I go to uh, kick off the sequence that would lead me towards fighting that final boss. And, um, first thing I realized I have to go through this, I have to go into this area. And once I get into that area, I have to fight all eight of the final bosses of uh, basically all eight final bosses of the final chapter. Uh, and then on top of that, then I'm assuming that's going to lead to me fighting the true final boss. And there's no save point once I kick this whole sequence off. So I just have to play through these eight battles of all final bosses and then fight this true final boss. So um, I'm fighting the first final boss, or I'm fighting one of the first uh, bosses, and I'm, like, I'm I'm beating him. I have the upper hand, but it's not just an ass beating. And I realize, like, oh, I got, like, eight more of these, and then a guy who's going to be even tougher than all of this, um, I might want to step out and just uh, step my game up a little bit more. So I go, I leave, I as I had mentioned the previous week, I discovered that there are actually advanced jobs, so higher level jobs than the jobs that come with the uh, the main characters. And I had only received one before I went into that final sequence. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go and get the other three to complete all four. So that means all four party members would possibly have an, an advanced job. So I went and did that, fought all those bosses to get those advanced jobs. And then... I come across an area that is higher level than the uh, recommended uh, high, uh, levels of other areas. So normally the highest up until that point when I pass by, say, a cave would be around um, required level of level 50. And um, But this one was level 58. So I go, ah, you know, I'm going to go in there too, just see what's going on here and kind of test where I'm at at this point. And when I'm in this area, just kind of searching it, uh, the forest of purgatory i end up coming across uh, a wolf boss and so i fight this wolf boss and i get my ass handed to me and so i'm like all right well let me just try it again get my ass handed to me so then i it, it just gets into my head where it's like well now if i can't beat this wolf boss there's no way i'm going to beat the true final boss of the game so now i'm setting my sights on this wolf boss as kind of um, uh, a, a a barrier to know that, like, if I can pat cross this, then I can do that gatekeeper. Exactly. And so then it ends up being about like eight battles of me against this wolf guy. And I'm switching up, um, like, I'm switching up the, the loadouts for my characters as far as like what weapons and what uh, armors I'm using uh, because he's mainly a physical attack uh, boss. So I switched up all that when total physical defense, um, switched up some of the uh, passive perks that I have on my characters to then nullify some of those attacks and completely just switch up like uh, the makeup of my team. And after like eight battles, I finally beat him and it's a long fight. They, they weren't short fights. They were all long fights. What was awesome though is in the process of fighting this wolf, I definitely came up with some new strategies that just took my characters to another level 
and that being that one of my characters, he has the ability to concoct, which means to create potions. And so I played around with every possible combination of potions as I was doing these wolf fights just to figure out like, all right, which combinations can like just take me to that next level. And one of them was uh, I could give uh, an increase to all my characters fighting spirit, which are basically these ability of po- ability points that you can use towards getting off of an ultimate attack. And usually you get those by um, basically um, performing actions. You'll then get these uh, battle points. But this guy can make a potion that can then, on top of that, give you additional battle points. That means I can just get off ultimate attacks within what? turn. Yeah. So I realized I had this, and I hadn't been using this. So I have uh, roughly like eighty of these as as an option to use with this one character. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, okay. So this is now just a standard move I'm going to be using. Um, so I use that. Spam, spam, spam. <laughs> exactly. And so with that, I basically take out the wolf with that new uh, strategy, and then I go and I'm fighting the final bosses. And what's awesome is every time I take down one of the um, final final bosses of the of the the final chapters it uh unlocks this script or like an inscription on this tombstone and it basically um are the words of the dead and it explains a lot um explains what's going on behind the scenes and this is something like a critique i had given to the game is that when comparing it to final fantasy 6 is that there wasn't a final there wasn't uh, a big foil there wasn't uh, a kefka in the game and so because of that it seemed like a lot of the stories weren't connected which was fine i enjoyed all the individual stories but they just weren't connected but as you're reading this and you're learning about maybe side characters that uh you came across in the game that were uh uh, important to the the narratives of each individual character you learn how their stories are actually connected and how it's all ultimately connected to this final boss so all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes as you were learning about your characters actually is something that was being manipulated uh, by this final boss and so because of that it gave me a whole new understanding of every interaction I had had in the game and that the stories were a lot more connected than I thought they were. And it just took the game to another level. If one thing I'll say about Octopath Traveler is I've completely like underestimated this game at every turn. Uh, when I went in, there was definitely a nostalgia appeal uh, of just that throwback to that Chrono Trigger Final Fantasy VI style retro gaming. Um, and I'd hit points where I thought like, okay, they've kind of given me every character. I know what this game has to offer. And now it's just about seeing story and beating it. But as I came to these like these these battles and learned about like how I had to change out the loadouts of my characters and really adapt to certain battle styles as opposed to just coming up with the the most optimized style of play with the best armor and the best weapons and then just kind of beating the characters with in a way brute forcing or OPing my way through the game. I actually had to use a ton of strategy. And so with that, like because I've decided to go on and actually complete this game in its entirety, it's really shown me that there is just a lot more here than is laid out for you in like the tutorials and just in the earlier sets of the game. So yeah, it's I I can't say any more about this game than that like it's just inching up there like it's like right there on my mount rushmore and i think it's gonna be there of like just games that are all all time games for me and yeah i can't i can't say anything more about it but a dub 
let's get into the topic of the week. Top topic of the week. So what you got for us to kick it off today? What do I got for you? Well, following up with some Last of Us 2 news. Mm. So we already told you guys that it became the fastest selling Sony exclusive with 4 million in like three days. It dethrones Spider-Man as the fastest selling exclusive. So already off to a great start. Now it's been revealed that The Last of Us 2 outsells the entire UK top 10 combined in June. Damn. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, the Brits, the Brits know their games, man. man. They supported Days Gone. They're supporting The Last of Us in big numbers. Uh, as you, it, that, that is what you heard. It's outsold the top ten combined. So I'm guessing it's number one, of course, which means that the other nine games put together weren't even coming close. Now, granted, it's not like there were any big releases recently, but at the same token, it's not like a game has sold like this every day. I mean, maybe GTA, maybe Call of Duty, maybe something else, Zelda, those kind of likes. I don't know, man. This This is serious business. They tried to take it down, but it's hanging out. Yeah, it's like one for because the big thing is it's a first party exclusive. So you take out um, any type of multi platform uh, boost from this style of game. And just an early indicator of what we can expect in NPD. Because as you said, um, I believe the previous month in NPD um, for May, uh, it was there were no new games that made it into the top 10. And then I think it, it went all the way down to, um, fuck, I forgot the name of the game. It was a Switch game, but it was like a definitive Animal edition. Animal Crossing? No, no, no. It was like a definitive edition. Because um, this this is a new game. Animal Crossing, I believe, came out before then. Oh, that um, was like in April, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyways. Um, yeah, so I, I imagine that when we get NPD for June, uh yeah, Last of Us is going to be just dominating completely, at least in the number one spot. We saw um, Final Fantasy VII Remake debut at number one, and we're not hearing these type of numbers coming from Final Fantasy VII Remake as we're hearing from The Last of Us Two. So, this kind of performance. And this is, and keep in mind, like this is box sales for uh, the UK. So we'll get also digital included with NPD. So that's going to give it an entirely different boost. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that turns out. But and it's then, a great uh, sign. Oh, yeah, what are you saying? To go a little further, the news blurb by way of PushSquare.com says, this means Sony became the UK's biggest publisher last month as continued sales of The Last of Us Remastered, Marvel Spider-Man, Days Gone, Horizon Zero Dawn, and God of War helped to boost the Japanese giant up the charts. Crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's awesome. A good sign for first-party titles for anybody who has any type of words for SJW or just movie games and things along those lines. It, clearly, you can see the the community as a whole doesn't believe in any of that. So just continue to ignore all that all that clap back and just look at the sales and know where the actual community is standing. And at the same token, I mean, call it out where you see it, because in light of this fantastic news for Naughty Dog, Sony, and us as gamers, 
Anyway, we've been hit with a little bit of, of bad news of the gaming community going a little out of their way to express their, their discontent with decisions made with The Last of Us 2. It comes to the degree that like voice actors have been getting death threats online because of their portrayal of characters. <laughs> so it's, uh, you got to take the good with the bad, but at the same token, the bad that's been coming because of this game is completely unwarranted and unnecessary. I just don't understand how people get so attached to fictional characters that they threaten real world violence over decisions to them. That's why as a creator, you got to ignore them and let them just do their thing and, and yell and you just focus on the fans who actually are there to support you. Yeah. And you know, record those IP addresses, make some reports to the FBI. Let's get these people surveilled. Let's get them tried. <laughs> but anyway, moving on to the next topic of the week. Top topic of the week. Oh, this is a next-gen exclusive A-Dub. Oh. Uh, so in case you're wondering, I know people have, they've wondered about where the console price is at. All we uh, care about are the console prices. I want to uh, know how much I'm going to be spending around Christmas from my console. My and you know new. what? That's kind of a, a privileged perspective because it, it assumes that other things will remain the same. Yeah, but as we, as we learn, all things can't stay the same. Um, so yeah, we got some news. This coming from NBA 2K21 that there might be a price increase for the selling of the next-gen version of that game. So this coming from gamesindustry.biz. Um, I have a ton of information here, so uh, get comfortable. NBA 2K21 will have a recommended price of $69.99 when it mm. launches on PS5 and Xbox Series X this year. That's $10 more than the PS4 and Xbox One version, which has a recommended price of $59.99. So continuing, let's get into it before the hate comes. The Xbox One and PS4 versions are due on September 4th, with the PS5 and Xbox Series X editions set to launch alongside the new machines later this year. 2K says the more expensive versions have been built from the ground up for next-generation consoles. So that one thing to ind- indicating there is that um, you're seeing two forms of development happening for one game as opposed to flipping a switch and the graphics are just better on the next-gen console. Because that's how that used to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so continuing. Uh, so this is actually... this. This comes actually more from the industry and talks about um, just the pricing of game development and the costs and how it might just, you know end up uh, coming into conflict with the uh, the price of games, staying at least at the steady $60 that we've seen as of late. So here we go. The issue around game pricing was discussed by former PlayStation exec Sean Layden during the Game Lab conference last month. He told attendees at the event, it's been $59.99 since I started in this business, but the cost of games have gone up 10 times. If you don't have elasticity at the price point, but you have huge volatility on the cost line, the model becomes mm-hmm. more difficult. I think this generation is going to see those, impar- those two imperatives collide. Layden said that one solution to the rising cost of development was to create shorter games. 
Well, we'll get back to that. Speaking with GamesIndustry.biz, IDG president and CEO Yushio Osaki says that gaming pricing has remained flat since 2005, whereas TV and movie pricing has increased significantly. The last time that NextGen launched software pricing last time that NextGen launched, software pricing went up was in 2005 and 2006 when it went from $49.99 to $59.99 at the start of the Xbox 360 and PS3 generation. During that time, the costs and prices in other affiliated verticals have gone up. Osaki says the next-gen console game production costs have increased by 200% to 300% depending on the IP studio and genre, but the prices have remained at $59.99. Meanwhile, cinema ticket prices have risen 39%, Netflix subscription costs have gone up 100%, and cable TV packages have risen by 105%. Um, so, and people got that on autopay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a lot there. Um, one, I mean, let's just get into it. So the cost of games to the consumer has stayed steady, but the development costs, as pointed out there, have been going up. So, I mean, just where do you sit here? I mean, oh, we've discussed this potentially in the past, but now that's seeming a little more official, what you think, Ado? I, I think that it's, it's inevitable. It's necessary. And the, the industry has tried to get it so many other ways in order to avoid this but now it's little choice other than to ask for it from everyone at the register now to keep this in perspective this isn't a reflection of what prices are going to be across the board for every publisher however it's a sign of things to come the important thing is to not respond with fear and anger. The proper response is to just be more selective with the games that you buy, especially on day one, and to get the most out of them. Now, uh, I believe you mentioned that part of the way that they could combat rising budgets is to make shorter titles. Absolutely. I mean, you only have to look no further than the indie development scene where smaller games that focus on tightly tightly executed core mechanics you know games that boast higher replay value than you know overall campaign length are being made by teams of like a dozen people or less on shoestring budgets and they can be sold for less than 69.99 less than 59.99 and and you know digitally distributed People with data caps don't have to worry about that much because they're not bigger games anyway, and they turn a profit, usually hugely profitable, not usually, but, you know, the ones that sell have a higher profit margin than the AAA games selling the same amount of copies. So there is a precedent. There is an avenue. Digital distribution makes it possible. I mean, you don't have to worry about pressing things up, shipping, logistics, all that nonsense. So... I, I it's I'm, I can't say it's a good thing, but it's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. It has to happen. You can't you can't expect the price to stay the same forever when everything else is going up. You're either going to have to raise your price to keep pace, as well as to make sure that you're able to continue competing, or you're just going to have to find a different way. So if we've come to love games and this ever-increasing standard of visuals, polish, performance, content, then we have to pay up 
in order to perpetuate the cycle of continuing to get returns out of this instead of it turning into a diminishing return situation where you know we're keeping the price steady and we're gradually getting less because other things cost more to do so i support it and you know i I have a decent job. I make a decent income. I'm low maintenance, so I can support my gaming hobby. I'm pretty selective when it comes to games anyway, and it it doesn't bother me to support the industry the best way that I can, which is buying new copies of games. And if I'm excited enough about something to follow it to make sure that I show up at the register on day one to help keep this hobby going. Like I tried to explain, like I was, um, not trying to explain because you clearly understand but like i was saying in the pre-show was that it's like we're all in a union and the members don't want to pay the dues (laughs) (laughs) so it's like all right well then you're you're not going to have a union (laughs) if this continues so it's like if you want to be a part of this hobby you got to pay up and not not doing it in a manner that's only beneficial to you. Like you're well within your rights to behave that way as a consumer. But if you're really going to call yourself a gamer, you got to support the hobby rather than just leech off of it. Yeah. And I mean, so I look at it from a couple, a couple of perspectives. So it's like 10 bucks more, which doesn't seem like too big of a difference. Obviously it adds up over time or just the, the, the face value, like the dollar value, just when you see that amount, 70 bucks at one point, they drop on one thing. Um, I guess for some people, the jump from 60 to 70 is a huge thing. It's maybe it's just more conditioning because you're just so used to, as, as they pointed out, we've been paying this since 2005. It is kind of jarring to just see a price increase. But and apparently it's the difference between poverty and, and palaces. Yeah, the way people would the way people would react to this, exactly. um, but like, it, yeah, it is one of those things. Like, you, if you look at it from the perspective of, well, if this is going to break the bank, I need to at least uh, curate more of my experiences and be a little more discerning when it comes to certain titles that I'll play. I think that's, if anything, that's beneficial to the the community as a whole, just because then. As I pointed out many a times, like obviously I can't speak for like everybody. Everybody tell everybody to be like me, but I just don't have the same. They should time. though. They yeah, should. They really <laughs> should. I just don't have the, the time to play games like how I used to, and so the games that I play are the games that I really want to play, not necessarily the games that I feel I need to play in order to just be a historian of gaming. <laughs> just when it comes to like your experiences and being able to talk about games from an educated and not a, standpoint. And not a shitty historian too. Yeah, exactly. And so I only play the games that I love. And I think like if more people just took that perspective and actually waited for the right games to show up on day one, and then maybe because there's so many other avenues and so many options to play games that don't involve paying the full price, you can still support the games that you want to get behind. And then when you look at, say, something, when people, people always discuss value when they discuss games, and you, so you look at an annual franchise like NBA 2K21, you might think, like, do I need this game every year now? Like, 
just like it that it shouldn't really make a difference between 60 to 70 dollars if you're making that choice because i made that decision a long time ago with madden where i just realized like from year to year that i wasn't really enjoying the game that much more and especially when i went to like just get rid of it because i was like all right i'm I'm done with this and i was getting like 25 cents for like madden because oh you got more than me yeah each version of the game is just at is just replaces the previous year um you just realize like oh yeah there's not I'm not really getting the the value out of this that I feel is worth buying this game annually. Um, And so you can look at those annual franchises and really consider like, is this worth it to me? And if it is, then then it's worth it to you. And you don't need every game. You can just focus on buying Call of Duty every year or buying whatever (laughs) version of Madden comes out every year. Um, But yeah, and... I like the idea of shorter experiences too, because that means I, I can one play more games. Um, I remember even that was a, a criticism that Amy Henning had about the industry and just gaming development is that like they want games to be longer, and that's somewhat driven by the community because they want just there was just a period of time where all they talk about was how many hours can I get out of a game? And that would justify the experience. Once like microtransactions and DLC became more prominent, then some that started to factor into the value and then with skins and oh, all that they're, stuff. They're cutting content. But yeah, like there was so much time where all people talked about was how many hours can I get out of a game? And then so all these games are being marketed as, as this was this is the biggest map yet to this yep. franchise and then there started to be criticism like oh there's like all these like throwaway side quests that don't really mean anything anything they're trying to kill time with fetch quests or making me ride a horse or not be able to run they're uh, padding it yeah yeah exactly like they're just adding tedium to the game in order to to pad out the the gameplay time well um, you said you wanted hours <laughs> you wanted realism <laughs> yeah you didn't say that you want to hit that you wanted quality side content you didn't say that you wanted to go inside of all the buildings yeah exactly. you said you wanted to you wanted more time they gave you more time <laughs> yeah and that, that's the thing with like dlc is a lot of times like i i don't even buy maybe 90 99% of dlc i probably don't buy and that's because i'm not interested in most dlc but people just see that there is other content and they feel that they need to play it but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's meaning meaningful content that that's content that you need to actually play mm-hmm. it's just for people that are huge fans of that franchise to continue with and so yeah you get like these side quests that aren't necessarily that great or you get procedurally generated side quests and then people start to complain about that as well because then it's not like there's no set pieces <laughs> it's not handmade <laughs> lazy design yeah and y'all want to y'all want to pay for honda civics but y'all want them built like Ferraris. Exactly. Um, and yeah, so like, I, I look at it as like these tighter, these tighter storylines, especially for single player games, I feel like can have better pacing. And on top of that, hopefully will also lead to better uh, value as far as uh, pricing. But I, I, I definitely encourage the idea of bringing in shorter experiences. I thought uh, a Thief's End could have been cut down a little bit. Not that it was a bad game. I just thought it could have been shorter. And so I I would like to see more of that moving forward with like at least some of these single player experiences. Mark my words, expect a lot of games going toward class systems and boasting about replay value. Oh, what do you you mean? Like, um, oh, like just different uh, ways to play through the game. Yeah. Instead of making the game longer, they give you different play. They're, they're going to be more games giving you different play styles and they're going to encourage you to play as the different characters instead of like, Oh, to 
hundreds of hours of content. Yeah, maybe twenty hours, but you got five classes. Yeah, you can play <laughs> as the as the drone. <laughs> I mean, I've dumped a thousand hours into Diablo three, so it's not too far beyond the realm of reason. And at the same token, it's not necessarily a a bad thing either. If the game's well made and the replay value is there, then why not? I played Overwatch for what, like five years? I think you played Diablo 3 for like eight years. <laughs> I'm thinking about starting up a monk for this season right now. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now that I'm done with The Last of Us 2. Like I'm thinking, should I definitely want to start a new character in Borderlands 3. I want to start a seasonal monk in Diablo 3, see if I can eke out as much power as possible from that build, which I haven't tried yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get some stuff in before it goes to Tsushima, which I'm going to take down at a pretty ginger pace. And then hopefully I get Rebel Galaxy Outlaw in August. And I'm just thinking about all these wonderful things in my future. I completely forgot about the people who are stuck in the past, yeah. stuck in their ways. Yeah. <laughs> stuck on stupid. <laughs> stuck in place. Stuck okay. on all the wrong things. <laughs> so what you got for us, A-Dub? I got Troll of the Week, AMC. Troll of the Week. They coming sideways at the industry trying to get more money. Nickel and diamond us. <laughs> uh, one, one troll says, uh, quote-unquote, considering it as in they don't have to do it, but they will if it means they can squeeze extra money out of gamers. Seriously, a lot of developers take out microtransactions due to the agreeable backlash, but now they want to charge you more for the initial price. Scummy. Stand up. Stand up. Raise your fist. (laughs) (laughs) They're taking out microtransactions due to the agreeable backlash. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you're taking out the optional avenue for them to make revenue, and now they're just requiring for you to pay for it up front. So you did that to yourself, and you were warned about this back when people started raising their voices about microtransactions. At some point, you have to let the industry make their little money. Otherwise, they're going to come take it from everybody, and you're not going to have a choice. (laughs) Yeah, like the the example I think of that I'm currently experiencing right now is that, and keep in mind, both great games, uh, Mario Run, they came out, they had a, a flat rate, they let you play through the first couple of courses to get a taste of the game, to get that to get that that sniff, and then they're like, oh, but you want the whole package, we'll sell it to you, and then people complain about that, they're like, there's not enough content here, it's a mobile game, why are they charging, da, 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 da. then they come out with Mario Kart Tour which is a freemium game that has uh, gold tier pricing. It has characters that you could buy for $40. You could buy a single character, which is basically just a skin uh, for $40. They are, they, they are a little bit better, but there's a whole system in there to make Mm -hmm. them. But yeah, um, this is completely freemium. And that game I imagine is completely killing it because it is constantly being updated. There's so many new characters, gliders and carts, new courses, all types of stuff. It's just, um, Nintendo sees it as 
a cash cow, I'm assuming, especially based off of the fact that you can tell people who are gold tier members because there will be carts and gliders that are only available to the gold tier members, also badges. And so when you see yourself playing against a guy and they're rolling with that and they have a certain level of, of character that is just not possible when you play for free, you know that, oh, people are just putting money into this game and mm -hmm. more power to them. But it just shows an example of people talking about predatory practices but then also at the same time taking advantage of those predatory practices in order to get a fuller experience that they, that they want. Exactly. Um, it just shows that like they can complain, but just stop contributing to it. <laughs> I mean, is it predatory or is it just that you want to have as much advantage as possible over everybody else and they're charging you for it? <laughs> Mm -hmm. exactly exactly so uh, oh funny story about nintendo uh they've decided to pull out of the mobile market all together all together oh wow guess they weren't making enough money people were fighting against it so now they got to come up with another way to get their butter uh don't be surprised if you start seeing nintendo games at a higher premium with the next console too next troll says Guess I'm done with console gaming then. Not about to pay more for games with less and less content. So nobody nobody said there were gonna be less and less content. Is just this particular game is gonna cost ten dollars more. So people are already jumping to the conclusion that this is gonna be every game, which is already a failed viewpoint in itself, given the information. And then at the same token, assuming that there's just going to be less and less content like yeah one of the ways to combat the rising prices of development is to make games that you have to develop less of <laughs> by having less content now let's be completely clear about where we're coming from i mean nintendo games used to be what three four hours long <laughs> it's just that they were notoriously difficult because they were being QA tested by the people who were making them. So they took everybody else a very long time to beat. But once you got really good at a game, it wasn't long anyway. Uh, we enjoyed all that stuff. A lot of you guys proclaim how much you want to go back to those days. Well, you're getting it. So how about that? Nextrol says, $10 increase with the same microtransaction shit spliced in. Wowzers. Guess I also joined the Wait for Deep Sale group. Fuck them with a stick, a pointy one. Because you weren't already waiting for deep sales. $10 was, was the dividing line there between you paying $60 on day one versus waiting for $20 on day 90. I don't think so. Yeah, or, or buying it day one and then taking it back to GameStop to get your little five bucks back. <laughs> get your little $35 back <laughs> that you can use on the next game and convince yourself it's a discount when it's really just store credit that yeah. you're rolling forward onto something that now costs you like 90 bucks instead of the 60 that you would have spent if you just kept it. But hey, that's just me. Breaking news. I will continue to wait for games to go on sale two weeks later because most this gen have not even been worth full price. And yet, all you do is play video games. You're on a board talking about video games. You have strong opinions about video games. <laughs> you played most video games? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and ascertained that they weren't worth the price. It's like, maybe, 
maybe when and how much you spend on the game aren't the issue here. The issue is you just playing stuff that isn't up your alley. Yeah. Maybe you should do a little more research, maybe do a little more soul searching, figure out what kind of gamer you are, what kind of stuff you enjoy. And then you can come back out into the world and only spend your time with the things that are worth it. Especially like the people who complain about indie trash and only play AAA games, but then complain about the co- high cost of games. Mm-hmm. Like you're not willing to try out new experiences to possibly find better experiences. You only allow yourself to play one style of games, which is high tier AAA quality games. And then you complain about that. Those games aren't even that great. Yeah. I mean, you're not sending the message to the industry that smaller development is something that's, feasible financially and commercially those are pretty much the same thing but you know what i mean that they can put their money into that and not only will it be successful but it'll be profitable so then you're getting smaller scale games with smaller scale prices that have triple a production values and focus on a handful of core mechanics instead of trying to be jacks of all trades that are giving you every genre of game in one uber title so Next troll says, I'm all for the increase if it means all DLC is included and there's no microtransactions. Well, small problem here. If all the DLC is included, then it's not DLC. (laughs) You know, unless unless he's talking about, oh, just give me the season pass and give me all the DLC. Yeah, free updates. So basically, a measure that the industry is trying to take to stymie their decreased profit margin as a result of increased development costs. He's trying to take that and turn it into him getting more stuff and paying less for it. <laughs> and to get, and to also get rid of the microtransactions, which are the optional avenue for them to make money from the people willing to pay it. It's like it, are you guys, did you put a lien on the house for the console or something? Like, why are people, <laughs> why are people so cheap when it comes to games? Let's look at it like this. You go to a movie. It's about 20 bucks. You're there for about anywhere from 90 to 180 minutes. So it's anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours. You're getting what, like six bucks an hour of entertainment out of a movie, maybe less. I mean, geez, video games, a hundred hours, 60 bucks, 70 bucks. That's, that's what, 70 cents an hour? <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. One, two, no, it's seven cents an hour. One, two, seven, no, 70 cents. 70 cents an hour. One, two, yeah. My math brain doesn't work <laughs> when I'm not on the clock. But yeah, it's less than a dollar an hour for something that you can play as often as you want to in different ways with people by yourself versus a movie, which is only one way is the shortest, the second shortest means of entertainment. Music is even shorter. It's like, you can't interact with it. You don't have experience. You can't share stories, tips, information with your boys. I don't know. People and their values, man. Next troll says, people defending the $10 video game inflation are wrong. 
no, sir, you're wrong. Next troll says, games should be cheaper with mass production where it is now. Uh, unfortunately, the discs and the cases and the booklets are not where the bulk of the prices it just isn't. And there's digital distribution, which has finally outpaced physical sales. So a majority of the gaming community is digital anyway. It benefits everybody. Let's just let these prices go up. Let us all go digital and just relax. Well, it's also it's like people always want to talk about supporting the developer mm -hmm. and their wages need to increase. Their wages, the price of their product can't stay the same and somehow their wages keep going up. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, they're, and they're supposed to get benefits and they're supposed to not have to endure crunch. Yeah, you you want them to yeah you want them to have like full time jobs and not just these part time jobs from project to project where they yeah. get fired after the project. You want a bitch when they get laid off. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> you want a bitch when they work when they work overtime to complete their contracted work. Mm -hmm. You want a bitch when a game gets delayed. You want a bitch when a game comes out and it has an issue that you wish they delayed it in order to fix. Mm -hmm. You want a bitch when you find out that there's mismanagement going on or developers being abusive. It's like maybe everybody would be a little calmer in the work environment would be a little more tolerable if there was more money to go around. Next troll says only a fool would defend this price increase, especially coming from 2k industry. Don't need more money to advance industry needs smarter gamers. Gamers demanding better games. Games with ethical business models. Especially coming from 2K, a company that's going to give you GTA Online for free. The biggest game of all time. Next yeah. gen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A game that gives... A publisher that gives you some of the biggest games ever made in the form of GTA, Red Dead, NBA 2K, where they also have Gearbox. So there's Borderlands. The, you got 2K Boston, 2K Mare, and there's all your Bioshocks. 2K is spending money to make money. They're putting in that work. The least you can do is give them 10 extra bucks, but especially 2K. It says the industry doesn't need more money to advance. Um, Yeah, it does. This stuff gets more expensive, and it doesn't get cheaper unless it gets adopted unless it gets iterated upon, unless it gets scaled down, unless, unless it gets offered to developers on a smaller scale. Like, I mean, Unity is a pretty big engine that's used in the indie development scene. I believe that's made by Epic, and that's their, what, free, their free version of Unreal or something? Something like that? I don't know, I don't have enough information about that. But what I do know, is that the industry does need more money to advance. It could benefit from smarter gamers, but not in the sense that's being suggested here. Like, yeah, be smart. Know your taste. Know yourself. Know that a review is just one person's opinion at a moment in time. And know that the only way that you're really going to know how good a game is is if you play it firsthand. Make smarter buying choices. You don't have to buy everything. There are plenty of services like Game Pass and Gamefly and PS Plus that give you games. So take advantage of that. 
and just don't try to outsmart or outgame the industry because all you're going to do is end up hurting it for everybody. You're not helping anybody but yourself. Just be smarter, spend your money more wisely, enjoy the games you have, and let's support this industry. Next troll says, anyone who says yes to another $10 for games are bots. Don't trust them. Just everybody who supports it, it isn't even human. <laughs> Next troll says, the only way I'd defend these prices is if DLC or microtransactions didn't exist. So we find ourselves back here with this impromptu hostage situation where gamers are holding holding their money at gunpoint. The only way that they're going to let their money go is if is if the the bad cops on the other side of the line, <laughs> the microtransactions and the DLC, they have to resign, turn their badges in, get off the force, even though they do good work. <laughs> defund, defund the industry. <laughs> Basically, it's a it's a defund movement going on. It's like yeah. you can't you can't price this this way and expect me to pay more. And like we said before, it's just two k. It's just two k. So it's like if you're already playing two k, you're probably already fine with this because it's definitely the best and probably only basketball product that's on the market. And it's the same token, if you don't play it, chill the hell out. All your games are still the same price. So why are you mad? Next troll says, people for the price increase are just flat out stupid. The video game industry already increased their prices with microtransactions and is making record earnings all around. Uh, Microtransactions are optional. That's not a price increase. I don't go on the PlayStation Network. I don't go to GameStop. And there's not a microtransaction price added to the $59.99 that I currently pay. So, no, that's not a price increase. That is an optional avenue of revenue for the developer to get that money from people who are willing to pay it. Yeah, they're definitely making record earnings. And I've seen how some of these companies are avoiding paying taxes. So that's another issue in itself. However, it doesn't mitigate the need for a reasonable amount of cash flow coming in on a regular basis in order to cover the costs that they're incurring during the time of development. So we can address these things separately. It's just not all one way. You really have to dig into these things, pull back the layers and see what's really going on. They may bring in billions of dollars a year, but they're also spending billions of dollars a year. And the majority of that price is going toward making your entertainment. Yeah, and I mean it's up to them to, as as merchants, to come up with a value and to ask us if that value is worth it. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see how the consumers respond to it. If people aren't buying certain games that are selling for seventy dollars because they feel that that's not worth that value, then they will adjust. But um, right now they've done the math and they feel like it's a dollar amount that they can get away with for certain games, and so they're going to try it out. Um, yeah, keep going. I just, I mean, that was the last troll, but it's, mm-hmm. if you just look at the situation, it's been over a decade since the prices were increased the last time. So, I mean, gas prices go up and down daily. Everything in life is going up. Why are video games this protected class of consumer products where we got to grab pitchforks and torches? You know, whenever they suggest 
another means for them to be able to make money. And it's, and then we always have the most powerful and simple defense mechanism there is, which is to simply not spend our money on the things that we don't want to support. So if you're not behind the $70 price point for NBA 2K, then don't buy the $70 version of NBA 2K. If you're not behind DLC and microtransactions, don't spend your money on them. But the where we step over the line is when we presume to be able to tell the industry what it can and cannot do. They're going to go down their list of ideas for all the different ways they can make cash. And the least we can do is let, let them try and see if they find something that works. We're going too far when we're telling them just don't even think about it. Don't don't take another step closer to my wallet. <laughs> at some point, at some point, we have to realize that this is a symbiotic relationship. They need our money. We want their games. We don't get their games without spending our money. And if we're going to be cheap, if we're going to be the type of people that in mass wait several months down the line for something to be cheaper instead of supporting it when it needs that revenue in order to show that it's something that's in demand, something that is profitable, something that people can get behind and support for years to come rather than something where it's like, oh, your audience isn't there. You're taking longer to recoup this value. I don't want to invest in you. So then eventually that company, you know, goes smaller scale or goes out of business completely or gets swallowed up by some larger entity and gets bastardized or maybe they succeed. Who knows? It's You don't invite a more favorable situation into your life without putting something favorable into it. So you got to play ball. You got to play along to get along. Yeah. Um, yeah. People act like it's like the, the post office and like the postage stamp went up by five cents and everybody's like losing their minds. Like, where will I find that nickel? <laughs> um, yeah. I wrote down like, just like we've, we mentioned it already, but just all the other ways, cause people want to talk about like value and how like this is bad for the consumer. But if you just look at this, uh, how this next gen has led off, and maybe it was intentional. Who knows? The conspiracy theorists <laughs> react. Uh, yeah, oh, but gosh. the industry has been very, they've led with all consumer-friendly announcements, which just one, you're talking about, one, you have the subscription models, and it's been all about Game Pass with uh, Xbox. We've been also hearing about PlayStation Now. So you can, you can get a subscription service. You can get your day day one. You can get all your first party Xbox One games on Game Pass without actually having to pay seventy bucks for them. So that's always an option. Then on, yeah, PlayStation Now. On top of that, you get free games from subscription services uh, like oh yeah, like PS Plus as, as a dub mentioned. And uh, then on top of that, then there's the flash sales on the digital stores. So you can always get games there for super cheap, uh, especially if you're willing to wait. So that's another option to save money. Then there's been all this talk with the, with the consoles about backwards compatibility, Xbox on it. And then PlayStation talking about at least definitely having the PlayStation four games being uh, forwards compatible, or at least having backwards compatibility for PlayStation PlayStation 4 games. And then, as I just mentioned, there's also the games that will have, I guess, cross-gen compatibility or forwards compatibility when you think of certain games like, uh, what is it? Um, Cyberpunk. 
Cyberpunk, yeah, and then uh, Overwatch 2 and other games that they've mentioned that are going to take advantage of smart delivery. So we still don't know the prices of these games. Maybe I, maybe we do actually. Is Cyberpunk, that's, that's still on pre-order even though it got delayed. So we know that at least for that game, it's not going to be, because they said that there will be a um, next-gen upgrade, so you'll only have to buy one disc. The assumption is, if you pay for the current gen version, it's going to be sixty bucks. So you're not paying seventy dollars for at least those games for sure that we know of as of right now. And you're uh, not paying ten dollars for the upgrades. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, because they said free upgrades. So yeah, if we look at that, that's already a sign right there that not every developer is going to be at least leading with the seventy dollar price point, especially if they're releasing games that are going to be cross gen. We'll see and as same more with the- Avengers too. Yes, we'll see as maybe next-gen exclusives come out where those price points are. But as we know right now, a lot of those games that confirm to have the upgrades will be at, at around $60. So, yeah, it's, a, it's not a sign or a guaranteed sign of things moving forward. Just know that maybe some of those annual releases from those quote-unquote greedy developers that you guys complain about, you might see it there. But yeah, all these other developers haven't necessarily jumped on board with that. You know what? It kind of makes sense then when you think about it, because I, I forgot that it, that 2K is an annual series. So like that's... They're constantly developing for it. Yeah, that's a ship that is on clockwork. So it's... Because you got to compensate for the steady interval of time somewhere, I'm pretty sure they probably have a team or two that's staggered where they're keeping each iteration in development to get them probably a couple, maybe three years. I know Assassin's Creed or like Call of Duty, they have multiple teams that are on three-year staggers. But at the same token, that's still a locked-in cycle. So the only way that you're going to compensate for a rigid timeline is to increase your manpower. And yeah. And it makes sense to um, just from a next gen launch standpoint, because uh, as we had mentioned with uh, Cyberpunk 2077, um, the games that promised to have the smart delivery upgrade, they also didn't guarantee that those upgrades will be there available at launch for the next gen console. Whereas, with- oh, they specifically <laughs> said they weren't. <laughs> yeah. Whereas with 2K21, they plan on having it there at launch with that console, which means that they're already, they have that development done. Whereas Cyberpunk basically said, we'll get it to you when we get it to you. CD Projekt Red said that. Um, so yeah, that that also, you have to factor in those costs because they are basically developing two games at the same time as opposed to getting one out and then putting the focus to get all the upgrades uh, for the next-gen version when yeah, they're see. ready. CD Projekt Red had, had a little more to say about Cyberpunk this week. Oh, and yes. Our, what you got there for the next topic of the week? Top topic of the week. Just a little quick hitter. It has been brought to our attention that Cyberpunk 2077's wall running mechanic was removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you guys remember one of the earlier gameplay trailers for Cyberpunk, there was a little functionality that you could utilize with the mantis blades that it, it retracts and come out of the, the arms of your character is that you could do a little wall run, jam one of your blades into the wall, hang out there, scope out the situation and do kind of like a, a Batman predator mode execution. <laughs> do a Vega. Yeah. 
doing <laughs> Vega. And yeah, it looks like, according to CD Projekt Red, that won't be making the final cut of the game. According to level designer Max Pierce, what? T- talking to Game Reactor, he says, ah, the wall running. That is something that we removed due to design reasons, but there's still going to be a lot of flexibility in how you move. That's for sure. Uh, they go on further to say is not. No, they don't go further. I read the wrong part. But yeah. The Blades, they're still in the game. I've read a little bit from somebody cited something from Reset Era where they say that you can still plant yourself in the wall. You just won't have wall running. So who knows? Maybe the delay was partially due to them removing the wall running. So then they have to make sure that the gameplay segments of the game are still tight. After dropping a mechanic that may have been integral up to this time, or maybe it was just optional and it broke the game. But this is why CD Projekt Red made it abundantly clear along every step of the development process that nothing we see is final nor representative of the final product. These things are subject to change. This is the creative process. If you're going to be looking at stuff for products that aren't finalized, you need to have this mindset. Or you're going to lose it. AMC, you got another topic of the week for us. Yeah, no more. These are you from here on out, Adam. Oh, these are me. Well, we got a little, we got a rumor that has come to fruition. Uh, We've got Horizon Zero Dawn confirmed for the PC. Mm, I'm going to go to PC. I'm tired of these prices, eh, Dub? I'm going to yeah, go to PC. Go to PC. You hear a lot about it. You hear a lot of that from the crowd who's against the $10 price hike. A lot of people go to PC now, so enjoy buying your $1,000 graphics cards. Uh-huh. Up- upgrade your drivers. Enjoy researching your motherboards and getting your heat sinks. <laughs> So yeah, Horizon Zero Dawn was confirmed for PC. So you want to start building? It's a it's a graphical a graphical hog. So get ready for that. Uh, a new trailer totes the game's ultra widescreen support, unlocked frame rates, dynamic foliage, multiple graphical customization options, improved reflections, controller options, benchmarking tool, and lots of shiny new PC footage. Further, we have a release date. It will be hitting the PC space on August 7th of this year. I also heard that they put in a a sexy Aloy upgrade too as well. You know that's going to be one of the first mods somebody makes. Somebody's going to put in the real dinosaur mod. Somebody's going to put in the Dino Crisis mod. (laughs) It's going to go down. Oh, mercy. Let's see. What other news we got? Got TV show news, Adele. Oh, we got TV show news, and I'm kind of building up a little sneeze, so forgive me if I get quiet. But uh, my friend Pedro has been picked up for a TV series, and it is going to be worked on by the creator of John Wick. Uh, The show will be a half-hour dramedy, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Derek Kolstad, the writer of the first two John Wick movies and co-writer of the third, will write the series and serves as an executive producer. Uh, My Friend Pedro is the PC Switch title. A lot of people have said their strong resemblance or gives them hope for a Deadpool video game where you are pulling off insane acrobatics and combos as you were 
gracefully maneuvering your way through levels, utilizing physics and other kinds of items within the game to stylishly murder everybody in your path. You have a best friend who is a banana and he's trying to keep you alive. My friend Pedro, look for that from the creators of John Wick. AMC, how do you feel about it? Man, uh, it's nice to see, uh, it was a Devolver Digital um, stepping it up. Taking taking that next step to the entertainment to to the big screen to the wide screen, um, yeah. I, I don't know the story of my friend Pedro at all. I'm now interested yeah. to see what the story of that is. But knowing that at least you got some of the the best hand to hand and gun work, um, the minds behind that at least from uh, John Wick getting behind my friend Pedro. I'm expecting some great action sequences, and that's all that really matters to me. So yeah, I'm. It already has a great foundation to start from as far as um, action sequences. Now let's just see what the story's all about. Well, you might have to split some time depending on when this show is scheduled because we got another show that's in the works. Oh, no, not another show. I mean, this is all on top of the news that HBO is developing their TV series for The Last of Us, as we noted earlier in the show. Uh, we, we already have a Witcher show. Already got a Witcher show. We got a My Friend Pedro show coming. And now, by way of Amazon and the creators of Westworld, we're going to be getting ourselves a Fallout TV series. Uh-oh. And don't worry, everybody at home. You don't worry one bit. Because Todd Howard is on as executive producer of the show. What? Yes. yes. <laughs> is he going to be buggy? <laughs> I've seen some potential trolls of the week suggesting as much. No, but at the same token, if you know that Todd's at the helm of it, uh, I had that gives me hope that they'll at least nail the visual aesthetic and get certain things about the game franchise correct that normally if you left it in the hands of studio heads on the television show they probably wouldn't get correct uh say what you want about todd howard but that's the game studios the quality of their products what they've done with the fallout series quite frankly i don't give a damn and i don't want to hear it uh but todd howard has shown that the team over at bethesda puts a meticulous level of detail study and research into what they do for this franchise. So I don't doubt for one second that the creatives on the fall TV series are going to be held to a similar standard with Todd Howard in the executive producer role. So personally, this is something that I'm looking forward to. Uh, if you want to get an idea of why, do yourself a favor and check out the live action television commercial for Fallout 4, which in my opinion, very much nails the aesthetic and the look of the game in the real world, it's very much stylized. So it'll be interesting to see if they go for the realm of realism, how much humor they're going to incorporate, who, you know, what the perspective is going to be. But is there, is there going to be a ten penny tower <laughs> and everything that goes on at the yeah, ten penny tower? <laughs> you know what goes on at the ten penny tower. <laughs> but yeah, man, they have they have a lot to work with. And the beauty of working with an IP like Fallout is that there's so much established lore and a, a very defined timeline that it's going to be a lot of effort necessary to mess this up. So I'm looking forward to it. 
Um, I hope the intro is uh, Texas Red. <laughs> <laughs> Texas Red. With the big iron on his hip. The big iron <laughs> on his hip. After Texas Red. <laughs> Damn. I want I want um mad about the boy. That was my jam. <laughs> and then uh definitely gotta get uh, I'm as corny as Kansas in August. Na, 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 na. <laughs> and I definitely want I want my boy three dog just every now and then like we just clip on the radio and you hear like a, a an update from three dog. <laughs> Man, live action three dog would be everything. Or you know what they could do, even if they didn't have Three Dog in the show. You know how like shows would do like uh like previously and like they'll like show what previously happened, they'll have Three Dog yeah, break it down like, like the news updates. <laughs> Last time on Fallout. <laughs> it's your man Three Dog. <laughs> oh man, so good. Yeah, as you were saying, like they've um, the good thing about that show not having a set protagonist is they could go so many different routes, cover up from so so many different angles. If they decide not to do the uh, serial, um, every episode connects, or at least like every season connects, uh, so they could really go so many different routes. And just the way that I've seen TV shows handle at least the comic book industry, like seeing like Watchmen and the boys and some other shows, um, how those shows were handled and just came out really well. It's, it's a good sign for the way things could possibly go with uh, video games. And I mean, the, the standard for me right now has been Castlevania. Cause that's been so great as a, as far as like a video game adaptation to a, at least an animated series. Uh, so yeah, I, I have a lot of hope for what they can do with, if they do, like with the live action versions of some of these games. Looking forward to that anime cyberpunk. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah, video games finally coming into their own, getting movies that are that are worthy of their IPs and their source material. Get television shows. Oh man, what are we Best gonna time do with ourselves? Best time. The nerds have grown up. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, another quick story. I don't know if we'll go into detail about it next week since we didn't have time, but. Sony had a showcase where they showed off about nine indie games. I was just going to run down most of those real quick off the top of my head. Uh, there's a title coming out of the China Hero Project by the name of Fist. It looks like you're playing as an anthropomorphic bunny rabbit taking place in a very oppressive kind of like authoritarian world where there's a lot of mechanization going on, quite namely a vest that you'll be wearing that has a giant mechanical fist coming out of the back. It's a 2D action game. It looks like it has a very extensive combo system with all different kinds of moves and upgrades for your character. So check that out. It looks visually stunning and the gameplay looks absolutely tight. Uh, another game that the showcase was called Maquette and it looks a lot like The Witness and... Man, there's another game, and I can't think of it. But it looks like The Witness and whatever that mystery game is had a baby. and Like, like it, Superliminal or some shit like that? And Superliminal, yeah. See, that's why, that's why you, man. They pay, they pay us the big bucks. <laughs> exactly. That's why they send us all the free games and pay us for, for high review scores. <laughs> 
but yeah, it looks like the love child of the witness and super liminal in how the puzzle solving is based on a nested world concept. So you're in a world, you look around, you see all the structures. However, in the middle of the world, you see this giant dome. You go to that dome, look inside, and what you see is a smaller version of the world that you're standing in. And to completely blow your mind, if you step back and look around further on the horizon, you'll see that you are inside of an even bigger dome that's inside of an even bigger version of the city. So what happens is with the puzzle solving, you might encounter objects or things that are either too big to manipulate or too small to take advantage of. And what you can do is you can find that object within the smaller world and use that to create pathways and bridges and things by moving it within that smaller world, which in turn moves it within the larger nested layers of that world. And then if you really get adventurous, you can use that to find a way out into the even larger world where then cracks become doorways and tunnels and things of that nature. So it's got one hell of a concept going. The Witness was one of my favorite puzzle games ever made. I don't think I'm going to be very eager to jump into Maquette. However, I'm very interested to see how it does. And maybe one day down the line, that'll be something I'm into. Next title that we're going to talk about. Very briefly, there it's called Carto, which I'm sure is short for cartographer or something like that. Where you're in this world, but it's only a few tiles wide. And whenever you need to go on a quest or solve a puzzle or something, you maneuver the tiles in the world in order to create a new portion of the map for you to explore and achieve your objectives. So it looks pretty cute. It looks very charming. And it has a very interesting gameplay mechanic that I'm going to have to see more of if I want to get involved. Uh, man, there is another game by the name of Heavenly Bodies where you're basically a spaceman and it's very gravity and physics based. You're trying to repair a space station and handle all the problems that arise from that. I mean, I've seen characters getting blown out of airlocks. I've seen interesting things. It looks like twin stick mechanics for controlling the astronauts arms in order to help you repair the ship. It's, it's interesting and it's weird. It's the kind of game that I sign up for <laughs> whenever I come to town. And then the last game I'm going to talk about a little bit. I don't even know which one it is. I will say Recompile, though. That's the game where basically you're a computer virus and you show up inside of a computer system. It's a Metroidvania. However, it's not linear in the sense that you got to get certain things in order in order to beat certain puzzles and things. What the developer has done is they've, created the game in a manner that supports emergent gameplay. So they give you the tools that you need to play the game the way that you want. And then it's on the player to use those tools to gain access to other parts of the game. So you may not have the specific ability necessary to get to a certain part of the game, but if you can use the abilities that you have to somehow find your way in there, then the game supports that and you're able to continue along playing it the way that you want to. Yeah. 
So, Angie, did you happen to see any of those games? Were you excited about anything? Nah, I'd heard about a couple of them, but I hadn't checked out any of the events. The the main thing that I like took away from it was um, PlayStation, kind of without even trying to like say like they got away from it, but just like doubling down to say that we're still backing indies. Don't worry, we're not like getting away from that. We're not just focusing just on big first party um, style of uh, games, first party exclusives. Seventy dollar games. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so yeah, that was like them just doubling down. And we've seen uh, just the success of indies on the Nintendo Switch and as you're always discussing your your love of indies. And so PlayStation just wanting to remind people going into next gen that they are still continuing to support indie development on their console and basically saying all the usual stuff, easy console to develop indie games on and all that good stuff. But yeah, I didn't check out any of the games individually. It was just more of the, um, the stuff that was going on around it. Got anything else for a player? No, I that's all I got today. I, that's a very full episode, surprisingly. I like, walked into today, I was just like, I don't know if we're going to have a ton to discuss. And we got maybe one of the longer episodes, which is great, which means we know how to churn that content, A-Dub. We know how to make it work. We're giving people replay value. We're giving you content <laughs> hours, and we're not raising the price on you. Yes. So uh, <laughs> you, have any, you have any final words before we get out of here, A-Dub? Uh, yeah, if that Squarespace bill ever goes up, y'all could be paying for a subscription. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, this is Control Issues. I am C. And this is A. We are Control Issues. Thanks for playing. Sucker. Sucker.